You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. As all of you know, we are have been working through the book of James, and so we're going to continue uh, with that today. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter of James 4. And basically, we're going to look at some basic truths that are key to our walk with God. And to be completely honest, these truths may seem um, sort of elementary to us, sort of like kind of uh, primary in the sense of, uh, how should I say this again? Do you understand what I mean when I say elementary? Okay, good. I got confused there for a second because uh, in Canada, we would say kids that are in school from like K kindergarten to six would be sort of uh, elementary, whereas in this country, it's primary school, right? So I just wanted to make sure we understood that term. Okay, anyways, carrying on. So we're going to look at some basic truths um, that are key to our walk with God in James 4, and they may seem elementary, yet I think there's some things that we um, can, can take from this. Um, this morning, uh, things that sometimes I think can be easily overlooked in our walk with God. And so um, we're going to mix it up a little bit, uh, going to get a little crazy, and we're going to read out of the Message Bible this morning. So if you're following along with your NIV or NASB or New Living or whatever it might be this morning, uh, you may as well just close it for a moment uh, and look up at the screen because, um, as you know, the message reads very different than the rest of uh, the scriptures. Uh, so again, James 4, and as, a, as I haven't said yet either, is uh, the whole theme that we've been going through with, with James is talking about genuine faith. So here we go, James 4, 1 to 17. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourself. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And do do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you, yell a loud no to the devil, and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God, and he will be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. 
God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? And now I have a word for you who brashly announce, Today, at the latest tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog, catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. As it is, you are full of your grandiose selves. All such vaunting self-importance is evil. In fact, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that for you is evil. <clears throat> you know, even in the message, kind of like the modern day English, I still, some of the words, I'm like, I don't get that word. Uh, anyways, so there we go. There we have it, the message. So what we see from James 3 to 4 is a slight change in his tone. Um, if you care to read through it in in your version of the Bible later, um, you'll pick up on this as well from, from chapters 3 to chapters 4, this, this change in tone. No longer is he saying uh, brothers and sisters, but he uses um, this, this term now where he just says you. And so there seems to be this new level of intensity in his, in his tone. Right. If somebody's talking like brothers and sisters, right, there's this element of, oh, yeah, we're just here together. We're just talking about some things. And then if somebody comes up to you and it's like you, right, there's this different tone and you're like, OK, something's going on here. Um, maybe we're not doing what God has called us to be doing. And so I still don't believe that that James is angry with this group, right, of this new believers, as we've learned over the weeks. But he's certainly addressing head-on, right, um, some issues that are taking place. And, and as we read, there's clearly some issues that are going on, right? And so he's not holding back in any way. He is intense, and he's going after it. But again, the reason... He's going after it is because he cares. And I think that's what's so important uh, when we read the scriptures. This, 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 there's this underlying, um, underlying, I guess, tone that ultimately that James cares about this community. And, you know, the scriptures in, in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, it talks about how all scripture is God-breathed, Right? So ultimately, James is receiving this information from a higher source, from God himself. And so as he is speaking it, he is speaking what is really on the heart of God. And ultimately, God's heart is he that he cares for each and every one of us. He wants to see us grow and not sort of um, drift into the ways of the world, but continue to pursue him. He cares. Um, his desire is ultimately that 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 we would succeed in life that that we would that the best would take place in our lives um so as a church this morning um i think we may not see how this text directly impacts uh or directly relates to us 
right? Um, there are some pretty harsh, direct words in this, uh, in this reading this morning. In saying that, I believe that we'll be able to take away a few things um, that are timeless and not, uh, I guess, not location sort of driven, okay, or location dependent. So the first timeless principle that we see James um, highlighting to this community is this whole idea of humble yourself, humble yourself. What we see among this community in this chapter is is this inner desire to elevate oneself, right? They want to they want to elevate themselves. We see this 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 conflict of individuals, um, basically, with their own interests at heart. They don't really have God's interests in mind. They have their own personal agenda, you could say. And they're willing to take down others to accomplish it. They're willing to speak ill of others. They are, they're judging others in hopes, right, of positioning themselves in a higher place. That's what's taking place with these guys. I believe these individuals were purposeful in what they were doing, right? I really think that they knew what they were doing. There was intention to what they were doing. However, for us, I think this can be ever so subtle at times, right? Something that may we may not see coming, this element of wanting to elevate ourselves. Sometimes we don't really see it coming. It's just this subtlety that takes place in our lives. The reality is, though, we, we all have this inner desire for significance. We all have an inner desire for significance, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Unless we try to make ourselves look better at the expense of others. These guys had this inner desire for significance. They wanted to make themselves look better than, say, others. And they were willing to do whatever it took to, to sort of elevate themselves and de-elevate others. So my kids are pretty amazing. But I know, I know there have been times where they will try to, um, try to take the other down, so to speak, right? Um, to make themselves look better. And I'm getting a nod from the left of me, so I know this is true. It's really funny when, when, Kyla or I will acknowledge something good in one of them, right? And then the other pipes up and says, but I did this. Look at me, right? We're giving this attention to Eden and Silas will say, but, but remember when I did this? Like, come on, this was way better than what Eden's doing right now. There's this element of trying to one-up them. And... I guess certainly in this in in this particular case, it's a little bit of brotherly sisterly competition, and um, and so we don't get too concerned with it. However, we address things that need to be addressed, right? But actually, deep down, there is this reality, this this inner conflict we all face 
of striving for significance. And something, and sometimes we will do whatever um, we can to make it happen. Whatever we can to make it happen. The thing is, is we not only see this, say, in family dynamics, like the example that I've just given, but we see this in the church, right? Where we may try to one-up somebody else. We, we would see this a lot in the workplace where people will try to belittle others to elevate themselves in the workplace. We'll see this, say, in universities. I know um, Isaac has, has shared some things over the, over the few years that he's been here where, um, where things have taken place uh, at university that whether he's experienced firsthand or he's just observed in others, where people are trying to make themselves look better. And ultimately, because they want... They want to feel significant. They want others to recognize what they're doing so that they can elevate themselves. So we see this in, in many different environments within culture, right? Um, and there's many settings that I probably didn't even think of or mention where we see this sort of thing. And the truth is that, that this is not a quality of God. It's not his desire for our lives this is not a quality of God, but a, but a characteristic of worldly ways. But it's, it's amazing how easily and how, um, how, yeah, how easily it can just, this sort of thinking can easily slip into the, into our lives as followers of Christ. The Bible makes it really clear though. Significance comes through humility. It comes through humility. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves. Now this is now reading like out of the NIV. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Right? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is where our significance comes from. In the message it says, get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Right? It's such a really... It brings it alive, doesn't it? It's the only way you'll get on your feet. See, Jesus, Jesus is counterculture, and he's always been counterculture. And we've talked about this side of things many times. But culture says you need to elevate yourself if you want to move up, right? If you want to sort of climb the corporate ladder or if you want to, you know, um, look really good in the eyes of the professor or whatever it might be. And I'm not necessarily saying that Going to new levels in the corporate world is bad. And I'm not saying that doing really amazing in school and looking good in front of the eyes of the professor is a bad thing. But when, when that's your goal to, to find significance, you're, you're missing the mark, right? And so, but in, in God's economy, elevation comes from serving others, from loving others, from putting others first, by showing mercy over judgment, right? We see that in, in James 2.12 about showing mercy over judgment and thinking, um, thinking of yourself less. This is where our significance comes from. And God sees what's happening in our hearts. He knows what's happening and taking place. Verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it's like that's the place that I want to be. In a, in a position where, where I'm not being proud, like the, where I'm not full of pride, but I'm just humbling myself before the Father and allow Him to do what He needs to do in and through my life. See, humility 
not elevating ourselves is always the way up in God's economy. You know, maybe, maybe a simple basic truth, but something I think is so important that we remember that if we want significance, if we want to sort of be seen in the eyes of the Lord, it's about humbling ourselves and he will elevate. He will, he will do what he needs to do in our lives um, at the right time. So the second timeless principle James highlights to this community is this whole idea of submit yourself. So verse 7 and 8, again reading from the NIV, says, Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. This, this verse to me um, is really the test of someone's true colors, right? Um, it's the test of who are you submitting to really? Who are you submitting to? Are we submitting to the ways of Jesus, right? Or are we flirting, as the Message Bible said today, with the ways of the world? And I think we all understand this idea of what flirting means. I'm certainly not saying that, that it's always easy to submit to Jesus, because I think in all of our lives would be, we would be able to give examples of how sometimes it's very challenging to submit to the ways of Christ. But it seems to me, um, especially in this verse, that it's simple. Not easy, but simple, right? Unless, of course, unless, of course, um, one is more interested in following the ways of the world, then it's hard, right? It's, it's hard to submit to Jesus, right, when our heart and our intentions are actually to be pursuing and flirting with the world. Because the devil doesn't flee unless you make a conscious decision to resist him and draw near to God, Right? He will wreak havoc in our lives as long as we continue just to sort of dabble in the ways of the world. But it says he will flee if we draw near to God, right? So it's not easy, but it's very, very simple. James is highlighting that the ways of the world, the things it has to offer can be attractive. That's sort of a no-brainer to all of us, right? It can be attractive. The truth is that if you give the enemy an inch, he'll take a mile. Right? If we give the enemy an inch, he'll take, he'll take a mile. If you give him the littlest amount of interest, right, he will pounce on that and ride it as long as he can. You know, um, what we see on the internet now, and I'm going to probably make a mess of this, but they're called, I believe, algorithms. And so if you are searching, if you're searching um, for certain things like um, new football boots for, for football, and so I'm looking on the internet and I'm trying to find them, what's going to happen is when I go on Facebook next, there's going to be an advertisement on there directed at me with football boots on it. And if I go to, um, if I'm on like maybe even Instagram or wherever the internet is able to have ads, they will, because they know what I'm looking at, they will target these things at me wherever I turn. 
They're called, so the internet is extremely, extremely smart. So in the same way, it's like, so if I, because I've, because I've shown some interest in that, it's going to bombard me from all different directions. The negative side of that, and I could go down this path, path a bit longer, but I won't. The negative side of that is with the enemy is if you show the slightest interest in one certain area or, or what it, whatever that might be or look like, it's, it's going to start, he's going to start bombarding you in all so many different other areas. And so as soon as we give him the slightest amount of interest in, in one area or two areas or three areas, he's going to jump on that. He's going to pounce on that and he's going to ride that as long as he possibly can to torment you and to get you going deeper and deeper in the ways of the world. So flirting with the devil will bite you every time. That's just, again, I think for many of us, just sort of like, uh, thanks for telling me something new. Not really, right? I mean, that is just the reality that, that all of us are probably aware of. But the good news is that the devil has no chance with God, and he knows it. Like, when there's this, like, good and evil, and it's like, we sometimes think of, like, good and evil being equal forces. It's like, no... No, 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 no. Like the devil has already lost. He's already defeated. He has no new tactics. He's just the father of lies. And he will just continue to try and and get at you, not with any new creative ways, but in just the same old, same old ways. He he knows that he has no victory in our lives. He has been defeated, right? Um, Chris Vallotton said just a, a while back, he said to me, we don't, or he said to me, he said in a podcast, we didn't have this like conversation. Um, he, he said in this podcast, we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. And it's like, there's a, there's a big difference in that sort of understanding. Again, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it can be really simple. So the devil has no chance with God and he knows it. So when we as believers submit to God, the enemy knows his efforts are pointless and that's why he flees. That's why he says, okay, I'm out of here because these guys are serious. They don't want to walk the fence. They're not willing to sort of dabble here. So I'm just going to leave them alone. And depending on where you're at in your walk with God, will de- will de- will de- determine in a sense how the enemy is going to sort of trip you up. Like the chances of me going to a nightclub tomorrow night and partying it up till four in the morning are just really, really slim. So like it's probably not going to happen. But, right, I mean, it's just like, so the enemy's not going to really try and tempt me to kind of do that. Because it's like, it's just not even, not even on my radar. It's not, it, it's like, even if I was 21, it's the last thing I would want, I just wouldn't want to be doing, right? But there may be other areas in my life that he'll go, okay, let's just target this, because this is, this is a weak spot for Julian, right? So, he knows um, his efforts are pointless when we um, draw near to God. So I've discovered that the ways of the world may bring satisfaction for a season, right? But it's always temporary. It's always temporary. And it will always fall short of God's purposes for our lives. Always temporary and always fall short of God's purposes for our lives. And, you know, the other thing is there's always consequences to that temporary sort of um, 
enjoyment with sin. And that maybe it goes without saying, but with submitting is not a one-time decision, but it is a daily choice. You know, you, you can say, God, I'm going to submit to you. But you have to wake up the next morning and go, God, I'm submitting to you again. And this is why this is some, in some ways this elementary truth. And yet it is so important that every day we're saying, yeah, I'm going to submit to you today. I'm going to submit to you tomorrow. I'm going to submit to you the next day. So the third timeless principle James highlights to this community is this. Commit yourself. So verse 15 says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. This verse is in response to this group of believers thinking that they could make their own decisions in life. That was where they were at, right? We'll go here, we'll go there, we'll do this, we'll do that. They were, they were in a position where they just figured, hey, we're just going to do our own thing and it'll work out. And the truth is, they actually could and we can. That's an option for us. Every day, we have the option of whether we are going to commit ourselves or if we're going to just go about our lives and do whatever we feel we want to do that day. That's an option. That's a choice for us, right? But God in his mercy steps in sort of via James and says, you can do it your way, right? But I know what's best for you. I see the big picture. You only see a glimpse. I mean, how many times have we thought this has got to be the best, uh, the best approach? This is this is the best sort of path. This is this is the best idea. I'm going to go this way, and we just sort of make up our own mind. And it's like we can easily get ourselves in trouble when we do that, when we're not committed to the Father. And I know that sometimes that's a really fine line. It's a really it's a real challenge to sort of. Um, know whether or not you're, you're, you're committed to him or you're sort of committed to your own ways and your own thinking. But God says, I know the big picture. You only see a glimpse. When I first started um, running marathons, I had no idea what I was up against, right? Um, and I certainly didn't know the big picture. And so I hired a coach. Now, that makes me sound really rich, but that's not true. But I did hire somebody that helped me train. And um, I could have just winged it, right? I could have just said, well, um, I'll do a little bit of this, and I'll do a little bit of that, and hopefully it'll work out. I could have I done that. But I didn't, right? I got a coach. I got someone that saw the beginning, and they saw the end. Now, my coach isn't God, right? But... They saw the beginning of my training and they saw the end of the training. And, um, and even though I still didn't know all the steps of the big picture, right? I knew I could trust my coach to accomplish my goal and finish well. That's why I hired him because I knew that, that he would help me attain my goal and he would help me finish well. But I had to be committed to the entire process. It's like you can have the best coach in the world, but if you're not committed to the process, you're not going to win. Whatever winning looks like to you. And, and for me in running, it's like I've never won a race, 
but I've gotten personal best. So that's what I mean by winning. When you are doing the best you, you can do, right? So, so I had to be committed to the process. So our walk with God is similar to this. Obviously, as I said, um, God is more than a coach, right? He's, he's bigger than that. And, and running a marathon is, is, is simply 18 weeks of training and then it's over, right? Compared to life is 70 plus years. And, and so there's a big difference. It's like, in some ways, this sort of illustration can break down when it's like, well, it's easy to commit to something for 18 weeks, dude, right? No, committing my life to Jesus. I mean, that's a whole other story, but hopefully you'll get some of the, the, just the, I, the analogies from this this morning. So life is 70 plus years, but if your desire is to finish life well, then committing to his process each day is the only way, right? It's the only option we have. If we want to finish life well, the, the only option we have is committing to the process that he has for us. I accomplished my goal because I showed up each day, so to speak, right? In the 18 weeks of training, I showed up each day. And Jesus calls us to do the same with him. It's like, yes, we can have rest days, but we still need to be engaged, right? I had days where I wasn't running. I had days where I wasn't actually doing sit-ups and push-ups and doing different things like that. I had days where I was really doing nothing, but I was still engaged. Mentally, I was engaged. My heart was engaged. And I think in our walk with God, sometimes there's full-on days and sometimes we need a break, so to speak, but it doesn't mean we disconnect, right? When we disconnect, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. When we, if I disconnected from my training, it's like I would have started going down a path that, that may not have been beneficial for me, right? So I showed up each day. Now, that didn't mean I wanted to show up each day, right? There were times where the last thing I wanted to do was go out and run 27 kilometers or whatever it was, the training for that day or do the workout that I had to do. There were days where Kyle and I had a busy day and so then when I got home in the evening, I had to run 20K or whatever it was. I mean, there were times like that, but I had to, I had to stay committed, right? So there were times that I didn't want to show up. There were days where I thought, how will I ever do this? There were some times where I'd run 10K and think, how on earth am I going to run 42? Like, that was absolutely horrible. Um, so there were days where it's like, how am I ever going to do this? There were days where I felt I was actually losing ground and not gaining ground. There were days where I just thought, man, this is, this is pointless. Honestly, how is this going to actually work out? But the one thing I didn't do was I just, I just didn't give up, right? I didn't, I didn't just say, ah, ah, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. I didn't give up. So, you know, in our journey, we will have our challenging days, we will have our days where, where things aren't making sense, things aren't lining up, things aren't going the way we want them to go, where we feel like we're taking two steps forward and, or maybe one step forward and, and we feel like we're losing ground uh, the next day, right, because of whatever happens or the different things that are taking place in our life. So we'll have these challenging days. But what I discovered in my running, and I've certainly discovered in my walk with God, is that God's not looking for perfection, right? But just steadfast commitment. 
That's what he's looking for in our lives. It's just that that steady, I'm going to commit to you again today, God. Today, I'm just going to, I know it's, I know this day is already turning out a little bit ugly, but I'm going to commit to you still. And, and I'm just going to trust you in this. The other day on Facebook, I, I saw this quote and it was, the struggle you're in today is developing the strength you need tomorrow. So the struggle you're in today is developing the strength you need tomorrow. So sometimes committing yourself to his process for your life isn't easy, but I believe it's safe to say that it will always be worth it because we serve a good father. Yeah? We're going to we're going to just end with one song. And uh I know Tom has something prepared for us. But you know, in your Christian walk, I think we need to remember and be reminded this morning that that the way up, right? The way to a a fruitful, fulfilled life is is truly actualized when we when we humble ourselves, when we submit ourselves, and when we commit ourselves to his ways daily. That's I think that's what's so important is that we daily, daily do this, right? I I really believe that he is the one, the only one that has it all sorted out for us in life. And and sometimes we well we we never see the big picture right as i said we never see the big picture but he is faithful to take us um each step of the way and sometimes you may be kicking and screaming but if you trust him he'll get you there another um illustration i heard one day is you know that there's the um, that poster that shows a set of footprints in the sand. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wreck that image. So I'm just gonna tell you that right now. <laughs> but again, this is not my own. This is I heard this a, a while back. But the 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 topic and the idea was that Jesus carries us. And, and I really believe that there is this concept and this element of him carrying us and him caring for us and him loving us. And, and, and sometimes that need to just curl up with him and just know that it's going to be okay, right? But, but I know that sometimes there's a bit of a battle. And, and sometimes in order to, to move forward in the things that God has for us, it, it can get a little bit ugly. And, uh, and so this example of the, the footprints in the sand, God, you, you carried me through this stuff. Um, actually, this guy said there wasn't just one set of footprints. There was actually footprints and then drag marks. And then there was an area where there was a fight that happened. You could tell because the, the sand was all messy all around and, and, and stuff like that. He was saying sometimes it's more about God dragging us 
than it is about us willingly stepping into what he has for us. But you know, I just want to remind us this morning how when we submit to him, when we commit to him, when we humble ourselves before him, he will He will do what needs to be done in our lives. And, uh, and we can trust him with that. So let's stand. Tom's going to lead us in this last song and then I'll come up and close. You know, in this time, just make your prayer. God, where am I at with you today? Am I, am I 100% committed to you? Am I 100% submitted to you? Am I, am I trying to get significance uh, through a different way than from you? Am I trying to elevate myself instead of just submitting to you and humbling myself before you and trusting you with the results? I think that's the questions we just want to be asking ourselves and just praying as, as, as Tom leads us. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.